Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. It is such a big week here around Dog Nation, getting ready for the national championship game against Alabama. These are the moments that we live for. It's just really fun to be able to to be a part of this conversation, to be able to, 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 to think about the biggest possible game you can get. Georgia on one side, Alabama on the other. So much backstory. I was on this morning on 960 The Ref. That's our radio partner in Athens. And I was talking about how that for, that for, you know, for Georgia here, you've got the intersection of two different kinds of history. You've got the longstanding history, and you've got the short-term history. The long-term history is obviously the fact that Georgia has not won a national championship in more than 40 years. You all know that. The short-term history is that in, in, in recent seasons, Alabama, Coach Nick Saban, has been such a thorn in the side of the dogs. Now, as Kirby Smart's pointed out already this week, that's kind of been true. It's kind of been true for a lot of teams. It's kind of been true for, for, for a lot of programs. Georgia's not necessarily unique in that regard. But when you've got so much going for you, Georgia, even predating Kirby Smart, was a very talented team very 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 resourced program the fact that Alabama has been on the other side of so much Georgia disappointment there is also in addition to the long-standing history of trying to break the 40-year drought there's also the short-term history here of trying to do it against Alabama and Nick Saban Kirby's had what four cracks at this and come up short in each of those instances that's been well documented but even predating that you've got the home loss to Alabama in 2015 that was one of the final nails in the coffin for the Mark Richt era you get the blackout game in 2008 which kind of I think you know started this this weird conversation around alternate jerseys uh for Georgia that for the most part still lives on in between that you had one of the most heartbreaking losses in UGA history in the SEC championship game there in, in 2012 that obviously that's the kind of thing that a lot of Georgia fans would like to vanquish there too for Georgia fans who've been around for a while you know this game on Monday is not just about Kirby Smart getting a win against Nick Saban it's about Georgia in the Saban era getting that win I was actually in Tuscaloosa back in 20, 2007 when when Georgia won in overtime in Saban's first game or should say in Saban's first season I, I mean to say and I don't I don't think we fully appreciated at the time how rare that would seem even just a year later. Obviously, Saban's gone on to win plenty. And so you've got this long-standing history, this short-term history kind of coming to an intersection here. And let me just say this very quickly, and this is kind of almost nothing to do with the show that I'm doing today. It's one of those things I didn't even necessarily plan on saying, but here's where I find myself gravitating. So let me just kind of give you a quick kind of free aside, and then we'll get into the, the topic here today. For a program like Georgia, it is certainly true that 40 years is a long time to wait for a national champion. Georgia's just a very good program. It has a lot going for it. It's a little bit weird that Georgia has waited this long to, to win the national championship and it's someone who's lived through those years. I'm not quite old enough to remember Georgia's last national championship, although I was alive for it. I have been very well alive and and I have you know very intense memories of the season since then in which Georgia's kind of come up short that does feel like a long wait you've seen so many of your rival programs so many programs from border states around UGA they've all claimed national championships in some of those intervening years so that 40 years kind of feels like a long time and I do get that but what I will kind of say as a as sort of an add-on to this discussion when it comes to toppling the giant that is Alabama, and when you think about you know Kirby Smart being brought here to Georgia to do that, you know this notion that he's been here what 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. This is his sixth year on the job at Georgia. It's been six years. That's long enough. You know that, you know you know this is an interminable wait. Some would say to take down you know Nick Saban in Alabama. This has been, I would say, the greatest college football coaching performance in my lifetime. You know you know Saban has has built Alabama to the point that it is the market leader around college football. And it is just really hard to knock off a market leader in any category, whether it be college football or some sort of business world thing that's that's completely disconnected from, from, from sports all the way around. But it can happen. And in retrospect, when you look back on some of these things, I think sometimes the the weight that took place for for that market leader to topple for the weight that took place for that to occur in retrospect it doesn't seem quite so long as it does in the moment. 
Let me give you a quick example of this. And as I said before, this is kind of like free add-on stuff. Then we'll get to the regular show in a moment. I didn't necessarily plan on bringing this up, but but some of y'all saw this yesterday. I believe yesterday was the last day ever of BlackBerry phones. Did you ever have a BlackBerry? I didn't. I was a little too young to have needed one. You know, BlackBerry is kind of a a business person's phone. And at the age in which they were popular, I was just a little bit too young to really need anything like that. So I never really had a BlackBerry, but they were so popular that for a long time, a lot of you know this, are called Crackberry because they were just that popular. Almost people were, were addicted to them. It was kind of the first technological device that people were addicted to. And, you know, when you kind of tell the story of why is it that um, why is it that black berries went away? Obviously, history will say was because the iPhone, the iPhone came around and it was just so popular that it eliminated it eliminated the the, the BlackBerry. But here's the thing to remember, though, and you can go back and look at the history on this. I've, I've read some about this the last few days that in the actual moment, the story of the iPhone overtaking the BlackBerry was not necessarily quite so obvious that for the first four years of the iPhone's existence, BlackBerry sales went up each and every year. And finally, by 2011, uh, BlackBerry sold more phones than ever sold before. But after that, the iPhone ultimately did emerge as kind of the victorious technology piece, and the rest was kind of history. So to me, there's kind of an obvious correlation here between BlackBerry iPhone, Alabama, Georgia. In this particular case, Alabama has been the BlackBerry the kind of thing that's just been the obvious choice for everybody for a number of years. But here's this new rising piece of technology, the iPhone. And in retrospect, it seems obvious that the iPhone would overtake the BlackBerry. But at the time, and you can go back and read the news reports from that moment, there were a lot of people that weren't quite so sure. There were a lot of people that, that weren't quite so sure this iPhone was as cool as Steve Jobs and Apple thought that it was. But over the course of time, the iPhone built itself up. And over the course of time, the BlackBerry put itself in a position where it could be overtaken. And there's no guarantee just because that happened with you know phones that the same thing's going to happen in Georgia football. But we have seen here over the last couple of years the Georgia program building itself up to the point here in 2021 where it has a chance to be the number one contender to Alabama's dynasty, the number one contender to take Alabama down off the perch that it's been on. And on Monday night, it has a chance to finish that job. And if that happens, when you look back on this from the perspective of history, the fact that Kirby Smart had to wait all the way until 2021 to get that done, folks, that's not going to seem like such a long wait. And the same way we have a tendency to kind of truncate history when we retell events, the same thing's going to happen there too. Alabama was the greatest dynasty in college football. Nick Saban was the best coach in the sport. What happened to him? How, how come it came to an end? Oh, because Kirby Smart came along at Georgia. And all of a sudden, all those years in which Georgia fans have had to wait to have a team that could beat Alabama, from the perspective of history, that wait won't seem quite so long if that indeed does come to pass. So that's a little bit of a free thing to get you started today. And with that, we'll kind of move into what I planned on talking about today, which is how Alabama uh, can be beaten, how Georgia can get this done on Monday night. And obviously, one of the names that's going to factor so heavily into a conversation like this is going to be Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. Quarterback is the most important position in the sport. Quarterback is probably the most important position in all of team sports. And clearly, Bennett has a spotlight on him because of the fact that he has lost Alabama a couple of times because there's been certainly a quarterback conversation taking place around UGA. I believe that conversation was made irrelevant by a lot of the events of this past Friday, but nonetheless, there has been a conversation taking place around this particular guy, Bennett, in this particular position, quarterback for Georgia, going to the game against Alabama. And as a way of furthering this right now, I want to go back in time just a little bit. You haven't heard this on Dog Nation Daily, although we did play this in one of our Chase for the Championship shows. And a chance to talk to former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Tim Tebow. This was leading into the SEC Championship game. And obviously, it's the same two teams, Georgia and Alabama. And what I had a chance to ask Tebow at the time was, hey, what do you think about Bennett against an opponent like this. At the time, George was 12-0, and getting ready to play Alabama. Obviously, a lot's happened since then. But the comments that Tebow gave to me in that exclusive one-on-one interview are, I think, just as relevant now as they were then. So as a way of furthering this conversation about Bennett's role in the game against Alabama on Monday, let me let you hear what Tebow told me about what he wants to see 
from Stetson Bennett. This goes back to December, but it's every bit as relevant right now. This is Tim, this is Tim Tebow on Stetson Bennett. As a quarterback, what would you like to see from Stetson Bennett on Saturday? That it might not just be a time where I can be a game manager. I might need to be a game winner. And there's a difference. And he's done everything he's needed to do. And I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. But in this game, if Alabama, Bryce Young, Jamison Williams can make a few plays, can he answer? Because I think he's got that in him. But this would be that stage where all of a sudden you're called on to not just, hey, manage this, get it to the right guy, make a play with your leg, but to go win it. I think he has it in him. And if it comes down to that, I'll be excited to see what happens. So I think that's really interesting from Tim Tebow. And I think there's one aspect of what Tebow says there that I believe is 100% correct. And one aspect of what Tim Tebow says there that I think may be a little bit of a misunderstanding of the situation with Stetson Bennett. This has always been, to me, the misread that some people have had on Bennett. I'm not saying that Tebow necessarily misreads this, but some people do. And Tebow's words here, I think, reflect a misunderstanding that some occasionally have about Stetson. You know, Tebow says, hey, in a game like this against Alabama, whether it be SEC championship or this upcoming Monday night's game, I need you to not be a game manager. I need you to be a game winner. And I believe it's true that 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 Bennett might need to be the so-called game winner that uh, that Tebow describes. There. I believe that's probably true. What's not true, though, and has never been true, is the notion that Stetson Bennett is some sort of game-managing quarterback, game-manager. That's a little bit of a backhanded compliment, sort of a pejorative phrase when it comes to quarterbacks. No quarterback wants to be thought of as a game-manager because it typically in football language means means kind of a lesser quarterback. But here's also the positive side of what being a game-manager is. Game-managers avoid turnovers. Game-managers keep it safe and simple. They don't they don't play too risky. They, you know, that's why sometimes it's good to be a game-manager, managing the game well. But the fact of the matter is, is that Bennett's biggest weakness to the extent that he's had some have not been his physical limitations, although some fans kind of fixate on them. The biggest issue that Bennett has had when he has had when he has had issues at Georgia is he hasn't managed the games well enough. Sometimes he gets to be just a little too risky. He's had too many turnovers uh, against Alabama, certainly the last game and the, uh, the previous game that he played in Tuscaloosa. Uh, back during the 2020 season, that it's almost as if as if Bennett at times would be more of a game manager, that Georgia would be in a little bit better position because of that. That that Tebow is probably right when he says uh, Bennett may need to be a game winner on Monday night, but I believe he's wrong if he's insinuating that in the past Bennett's just been a game manager for Georgia. He's never quite been a game manager. He has thrown too many interceptions to be a true game manager and ultimately I think Bennett probably sees himself in a slightly different role than that which kind of leads me to the next point that I want to make here is that if Tebow is correct that in combating Bryce Young who you know is going to make some big plays now he needs to make fewer big plays this time than he did last time to give yourself the best chance of winning but when you're battling a quarterback who you know is going to make some big plays it's only fair to assume you're going to have to make some too and you're going to have to make more big plays against this opponent than you've made in either of the last two times that you've played them. I think the good thing here is, is that Bennett certainly has more confidence in himself to do that than most fans have in him to get that done. Not all fans feel that way. There are obviously plenty of fans who totally buy into Stetson, and there are probably more that buy into him now than did before the game against Michigan. But there's still a pocket of Georgia fans who would go out there and say, well, okay, it's one thing to do that against the uh, Big Ten champion Michigan Wolverines, but can you do that against Alabama? There's a little bit of a moving of the goalposts that happens with some of this. And so so there is still a I'm not going to believe it until you show me attitude among some Georgia fans I'm not necessarily here to criticize them or pick on them for that or even kind of other them for that I'm just kind of pointing out the reality of the fact that there are some Georgia fans who have to sort of see it to believe it but if Bennett felt that way about himself then Georgia would be the the game would be over before it even started if if Stetson Bennett had his little self-confidence as some Georgia fans have confidence in him then Georgia truly would have no chance on Monday but we know that Bennett believes in himself a lot more than, in some cases, the average fan does. And if you want to know why Stetson is as popular with his teammates as he is, there is a degree to which that confidence is just contagious, that it's inspiring. And when you are around someone that feels strongly about the mission or feels strongly about his role in that 
accomplishment or or whatever else, there's just a way in which everybody kind of you know stands up a little taller, holds their shoulders back a little more, and and all of a sudden that belief just does become a little more contagious. It's one of the reasons why it's been very easy, I believe, for the Georgia players to buy into Bennett here this year. And it's one of the things he has going for him in a game on Monday. Tim Tebow says, you got to be a game winner against the Crimson Tide. Stetson Bennett, I believe, says, bring that on. Now, he may be you know, heading for disappointment in this game the way he was the last two times he played against Alabama. But Bennett seems to be pretty good about shaking that off and focusing on the next thing, which is obviously what a football player is supposed to do. Let me give you an example of this real quick. So when Bennett met with reporters on Monday, uh, Zach Klein from Channel 2 asked him, hey, is there any part of the win against Michigan that you needed? Is there any doubt that you may have had in yourself, you know, going back to the Alabama game, that was quieted because you did so you did play so well against a 12 and 1 Big 10 champion who had throttled Ohio State? Is there any part of the game against Michigan that added to your confidence in a way in which you needed going to this game on Monday against Alabama? And Stetson gave the sort of typically confident answer that I believe is one of the reasons why he's been so popular with his Georgia teammates all season long. Let me let you hear Stetson on that. I thought I played all right in the SEC championship game. I made a few mistakes that you can't do um, against a good team, um, you know, but I also made some really good throws, um, good decisions, you know, and, and so my main focus going into the Michigan game was cleaning up on the mistakes and, you know, um, keep doing what I had been doing well. Um, you know, there was no – there's no personal doubt. Um, I knew um, what I had to do. Um, I felt like I needed to play that well to beat a team like Michigan because of who they are and how talented they are. Um, but it, it wasn't to prove anything to me that I could play quarterback in this league. I mean, that's the confidence you want your quarterback to have. And confidence alone is not enough to to lead a team to victory in a game like this. That's not enough to get that done. But it is a valuable commodity. Trust me. You don't want to go into a game like this with a quarterback who doesn't feel confident in himself. And at, at times, that's been the story around you know certain football teams. You don't want to go into a game with a, with a quarterback who does have a huge degree of uh, self-doubt. In the case of Stetson Bennett, that's just not what Georgia has. So Tim Tebow says, hey, you got to be more than a game, man- game manager. you got to be a game winner. I think Stetson Bennett says, I'm ready to bring that challenge on. I'm ready to go face-to-face against Bryce Young, head-to-head against Alabama, and do not only what I haven't done, which is beat the Crimson Tide, but do what Georgia hasn't done against Alabama since 2007, and do what this program hasn't done in more than 40 years. Bring a national championship back to the city of Athens. Sounds like Stetson Bennett's ready for that challenge, and maybe after the way that he did play against Michigan, there are a few more Georgia fans who think he might actually have what it takes to get that done. So a little long off the top there, but nonetheless, I'm glad to have you with us. It's Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Hello to you, and thanks for being with us. No matter how you get to us today, uh, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. on all the other video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon each and every day on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. We're available as a podcast as well. Wherever you find them, the Apple Player, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com. Just really happy to have you with us on the program here today. By the way, our producer, Michael Carvel, has kind of gotten pretty good at this, uh, which is um, making some changes to our video board there. We had, what, Stetson throwing the oranges of the day. Now you get a nice little look there at uh, the Kobe Dean holding up the uh, Field Edition, uh, the AJC Dog Nation branded uh, Field Editions. That's a great thing. and I, I love that. You, By the way, you can get a commemorative copy of the same paper that the players held uh, there that night, AJC.com, for more details on that. But that is certainly a fun thing to be able to see. And good job by Michael kind of sharing some of those images from the week for those of you who are able to watch our show on video here today. Let me also give you a little bit of an update on the rest of the program. Obviously, typically Wednesdays on our program about Mike Griffith. So there's Georgia media availability here today. There's some you know player-coach interviews getting ready for the national championship. So Mike's actually in the midst of working on some of that here this morning. He did join us, though, as part of our first and 15, 945, uh, live on dognation.com and the Dog Nation app. Obviously, you had to be on one of those platforms to see that. So if you tune in, you normally expect to hear Mike on Wednesday. If you'll check out the podcast edition of our program today, we'll put the show in order the way we typically do with Mike and everything else there. 
So you can hear that interview. We obviously got into a lot of, and one of the things that I got into with Mike that I want to probably do more of on the show later on is we just spent a lot of time talking about, hey, what's it going to take for Stetson, you know, against Alabama? You know, Tim Tebow, the challenge that he laid out before the SEC championship game, which remains relevant for this game on Monday. You know, for me, part of this comes down to, you know, how you distribute the football, you know, who you give it to. We talked yesterday about the role that Brock Bowers is likely to play here. You got to find another Brock Bowers. You got to find somebody else that can also be big for you. I think James Cook, based on what he's done against Alabama previously, what he did in the uh, Orange Bowl, may be your next best option to have that really big game. Todd Munkin's obviously very creative how he uses him. Maybe it's a traditional wide receiver. Maybe it's another tight end like Darnell Washington. We're going to talk more about this throughout the week, but but finding a way to to get another big time pass catching performance much the same way that you assume Brock Bowers gives you another one, whether he has all year long. That's a big story, I believe, for Georgia going into this game on Monday. Uh, Mike Griffith will talk more about that with us on the show earlier this morning, recording that podcast, if you missed that there at the time. So with that said, let me transition now. Let's get ready to go around the doghouse. It's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And I want to talk about, after spending gosh, more than 20 minutes talking about quarterbacks here. Let me get to now what I think is actually even more important topic than that because, you know, Bryce Young's the Heisman Trophy winner. Bryce Young is, I believe, the best quarterback in the sport right now. Um, It seems unlikely that Bennett plays better than Bryce Young, and I would say that you don't have to have Bennett necessarily exceed the performance of Bryce Young to win this game on Monday. That's not quite as much of an imperative. He has to play well. He has to give you some big moments, and he may have to have his biggest moment late in the game that leads you to a victory. Tim Tebow may be right about that. But given the the challenge of the Heisman Trophy winner, given the challenge of the, the best quarterback in the sport, you know, all you have to do in that particular case is just try to keep pace and try to try to try to stay, you know, stay at that level as much as you can throughout the game. The bigger imperative for Georgia is not what it does to match Bryce Young but what it does to stop Bryce Young. That's the bigger imperative because that's clearly the number one reason Georgia lost the SEC championship back in December. It was just way too easy for Bryce Young all day long. As good as he is, Georgia made him look even better than he might be by just giving him way too much time to throw, not doing nearly enough to impact his decision-making ability, maybe too fearful of his ability to run or, or, or whatever else. Georgia just was ineffective against Bryce Young, led to the big day for Jamison Williams. And you've got to find a way to change that this upcoming Monday, or literally Georgia has no chance of winning this game. You know, Georgia's not beating Alabama 50-45. I don't know that anybody is. That you've got to find some way to limit what the Crimson Tide does offensively to give yourself a chance here. Now, the good news is, is that for every reason to believe what Georgia did against Michigan, which is a better offensive line on paper, it's the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. If ever reason to believe that the way that which the Georgia got after Kay McNamara and the Michigan quarterbacks with it did on Friday, there ought to be some ability to translate that into this game this upcoming Monday. Yes, Young's more mobile than McNamara is, of course, but there still ought to be an, an ability to translate some of that. And it's almost inexplicable that the Alabama offensive line held up so well against that Georgia defensive front, the degree to which it did going back to uh, that SEC championship first Saturday in December. So this week, Nick Saban was asked about that. You know, how come your offensive line did play so well? How come they held up so well, no pun intended, uh, against a Georgia defensive front that had dominated everyone all season long? And this is the answer that Nick Saban gave earlier this week. Uh, I think if you're going to have any success against any team, especially against a team that has, you know, the number one defense in the country, it probably starts up front. Uh, So uh, for our offensive line to play well and be effective, whether it's a run, whether it's a pass, regardless of what the circumstance is, I think most plays are going to start with how well can we do up front against a outstanding, you know, front seven unit. Uh, who's proven that all year long. Um, so we're, we're always trying to prepare our players to, you know, play extremely well. Um, and, you know, we need to do it uh, in this game. And if we're going to have any kind of success offensively, it'll start up front in this game as well. 
So I think that's really interesting from Saban, and he's right, that his offensive line has got to play as well as it did the first time around. Otherwise, Alabama's likely to lose in this spot. The, the perceived mismatch between the Georgia defensive front and the Alabama offensive line is one of the reasons why Georgia's a favorite in this game. And yet, if you're a Georgia fan, you're still left to scratch your head of, well, how come it didn't work out better the first time around? How come it, how come it didn't work out better there? And honestly, I mean, I think we're all kind of grasping for answers on that, at least to an extent. I mean, the one thing that you know is true is, the absence of Adam Anderson clearly hurt Georgia against Alabama the first time around. I'm almost a little little hesitant to even say that because obviously the reason why Anderson's not playing is so much bigger than football one way or another. Um, Just the, 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 the cloud that that hangs over that topic right now is, is far removed from the sport of football, but from a football standpoint, not having him in the game was, was clearly a big deal for UGA. And, you know, we talked about this with Connor Riley yesterday when he was on the show, and I thought that Connor made some some really good points about this, and I think it led to a pretty fun conversation. That it certainly seemed like to my eyes, and I don't try to pretend to be an X's and O's expert, but it certainly seemed from my eyes that Georgia tried to replace what Anderson would have given them by sending some pass pressure up the middle with good reason. You've got great linebackers there, you know, obviously – uh, Nicobe Dean, but Channing Tindall had been red hot from a pass rush standpoint going into that game against Alabama the first time in December. And yet, sending that pass pressure up the middle was just completely ineffective. Uh, Young's either so athletic he can see it coming and avoid it, or it was just getting blocked and handled. And you know, maybe Georgia wasn't blitzing enough until the end of the game. Some people have pointed that out. I believe they're right to do that. But one way or another, I think the point that Connor and I arrived at yesterday in having this conversation about this game is, is that you've got to You've got to send that pressure. You've got to have somebody win one of those one-on-one battles from a pass pressure standpoint around the edge, the way that Adam Anderson would have a few times if he were playing. And it could be Trayvon Walker, it could be Nolan Smith, or it can be you know whoever's coming off the edge. Uh, but you got to do that for a number of reasons because it's just the most, it's just the simplest way to get to the quarterback first of all. But also because when you send that pass pressure around the edge, it forces Young to step into the pocket and. You know, does he want to hold up over the course of 60 minutes when he steps into the pocket there that way? Um, I think that I think that's one of those things to, to really pay attention to and, and watch for. And if you're looking for the simplest, most basic reason why Georgia has a chance to win this game on Monday and what, when, where that chance centers around, it's right here on this topic. Yes, Stetson Bennett plays a major role in all of this. And yes, Georgia's got to score a lot of points to win. But Georgia's got to get after Bryce Young, and it's got to keep sending bodies until it gets there. I mean, if you if you try four and you don't get there, you got to send five, and if you try five and don't get there, you got to send six. And yes, the, the you ratchet up the risk every time you do that. I totally get all of that, but it's not an option to let Bryce Young just stand back there, eat a sandwich, do whatever he wants to do, and deliver the football. That's the thing that's got to change in this game coming up on Monday night. And the good news is there is no more talented defense in the entire country, maybe even in the recent history of college football, try to get that done to make a defensive change for the better than this Georgia group coming up on Monday night. And I cannot wait to see how that plays out. That is Around the Doghouse. It's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. As I have a little bit of issue with my microphone here. There you go. Uh, that is uh, Rooms to Go's Around the Doghouse. And, of course, Rooms to go for a lot of you having those big game watching parties on Monday. You got a lot of folks coming over, a lot of folks gathering around the TV. That means you need a lot of furniture. And some of you look around your home and say, you know what? We don't quite have everything we need here. We're missing a piece in the living room. Or maybe you look at your living room for the watch party you want to have and say, all of this furniture is just it just needs to be replaced. We just got to start over fresh with something new. And a big game on a Monday night is a great excuse to get all of that. So check out Rooms to Go. Either drive over and see them in one of their showrooms and sit on, touch, feel the furniture that's going to be in your home. Or if you're more comfortable starting your shopping experience online, you can do that there as well, roomstogo.com. And it's not just living room furniture. It's a bedroom, it's dining room, it's outdoor furniture. You know, I loved being outside last week so much and, you know, eating meals outside, things like that. You're reminded of the nice weather we have in Georgia a lot of times. And folks are taking more advantage of their outdoor living space these days there as well. So you can get that patio furniture you need and everything else there, rooms to go. Your kids' bedrooms, so many great options for a single piece of furniture or the entire room being furnished by our friends at Rooms to Go. Make sure you check that out uh, today online rooms to go.com in store to shop in person either way around the doghouse furnished today by our friends at 
rooms to go. We're just going to jump right into it with Mike Griffith here right now because he's got a few minutes to spend with us before he talks to some Georgia coaches and players coming up in just a little bit. So with that said, welcome in here to uh, Dog Nation Daily here today. Mike, happy new year to you. Thanks for making your first appearance of 2022 in our program. And I guess if you don't mind, in the time that we have together, let me begin with this with you. What did you learn about Georgia in the Orange Bowl? And what do you think Georgia can take from that performance in Miami with it into Indianapolis this upcoming Monday night? Yeah, I mean, the dogs are real good when they don't beat themselves, right? When they stay ahead, the chains on offense, so important. First down success is everything to the offense. And then defensively, uh, you know, when they get pressure on the quarterback, they're unbeatable. So those will be the two keys against Alabama as well. Yeah, I think you're right on both accounts. I mean, obviously, too many turnovers in both these losses to Alabama the last couple of years. And really, if you even want to kind of go back before that, you know, a common denominator in some of the big losses that Georgia sustained in recent years are are just too many turnovers, turnover margin in, in, in favor of the opponent. And obviously, that's been one of the reasons that Georgia has lost in some of the big games it has been in, including these last couple against Alabama. And one of the things we're also talking about on today's show is the other part uh, of what you mentioned there, that – you know, on paper, the Michigan offensive line is actually better, at least it should be, than Alabama's. It was the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, and that you know, was one of the things that I think that Michigan coming into the Orange Bowl had some confidence in, its ability to, to, to hold up against that good Georgia defensive front. And Alabama, by comparison, on paper, has had some issues with its offensive line. Yet, weirdly, in college football can at times be a weird sport, the Bama OL played great back in December. Uh, the Michigan offensive line got manhandled on uh, the 31st this past Friday. Friday. And I think it just speaks to the need for Georgia to somehow replicate what it did against Michigan, against Alabama. And Nick Saban's obviously talked about, you know, why it was that his offensive line played so well. But Georgia finding some of what it had on Friday from its pass rush, what it had on Friday from its defensive front, that's also, I believe, just an imperative in this game coming up on Monday. Yeah, they need good play in the secondary to help make that happen because Bryce Young can extend plays where the Michigan quarterbacks couldn't. That's the big difference, B.A. Yeah, so along those lines, though, I mean, look, I mean, it sort of is what it is when it comes to having to stop this uh, this Alabama you know offensive attack. I mean, Young, he's, he's going to throw the ball more against Georgia than against Cincinnati. They didn't really feel like they had to throw it very much against Cincinnati. They knew their running game would hold up there. And, you know, if you try to exploit some opportunities in the passing game, Alabama's clearly going to get there. It, it's almost like – if, if you're looking at this from a Georgia standpoint, you got to have that success with your front seven. You got to have that success with your pass rush to negate the explosive plays that at some point in time this, in this game you know is coming for Alabama. Yeah, it's just it's such a chess game, and it's so much of how Georgia wants to approach it. You know, Cincinnati played that three-three-five. It was really conducive uh, to an effective uh, run game uh, for Alabama. You know, Georgia typically doesn't do that. They pretty much slam the door shut on the run game and challenge you to pass. Uh, and that's where the secondary has to come up big. Uh, Darian Kendrick, uh, Keely Ringo, Lewis Seen, Christopher Smith, and most importantly that star position, uh, whether it's Poole or Brainy or Dan Jackson or whoever they put in there, that has been the weak spot. That has been the point where teams have attacked, uh, and Alabama will attack there again. Uh, so you wonder, you know, the defense always gives up something, Brandon, and the question is, if you're Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning, uh, Will Muschamp, or whatever other brain trust you want to throw in there, what do you want to give up against Alabama? We know it won't be the run because that's just not how Kirby Smart lines him up. On the offensive side of the ball, we've heard Nick Saban this week be extremely complimentary of uh, Brock Bowers. That's obvious with good reason. And I think, you know, on a recipe for me in a game like this, it's it's also about finding someone else that can give you a similar level of performance. I mean, I think that James Cook's a candidate for that. Um, you know, I think that uh, Kenny McIntosh is maybe a candidate for that. I'd love to see George Pickens at least have a big moment. I think the, with the physical play from the game against Michigan, he certainly deserves his chance to uh, to get to do that. It's a matter of you know, can Stetson find a way to get him the football? But you got to have somebody to go alongside Brock Bowers in this passing game. Somebody that can resemble it. You know, if, if Bowers gives you the 10-catch performance, which I think he certainly has every you know chance to do, that's what he did the last time, if he can do something similar to that again, you know, who else can you kind of pair with that to give you that other option in the passing game? James Cook may be the next best name for me in a, in a discussion like that, but somebody in addition to Bowers, Mike, I think also has to have a big game when you talk about Monday night. 
Yeah, I'm going to go outside the box on you here, B.A., because I think with Stetson, you really don't want him getting past two progressions. He gets in trouble when he tries to go too far into his progressions. He doesn't process as fast as J.T. or throw as accurately. So I think the third option is Stetson Bennett running the ball. And when Stetson tucks and runs, he's very effective. Uh, we've seen that. When he, when he makes a very decisive move, uh, he escapes tacklers. And that 20-yard run he had against Michigan in the Orange Bowl, to me, was one of his best highlights of the year. Yeah, it's one of the interesting things that you hear discussed sometimes around Bennett. Obviously, he did uh, show off you know, some effectiveness with his legs against Michigan. And you know, since that's been commonly cited as one of the things that Bennett has going for him, his ability to run the football, one of the things that was discussed a little bit after the SEC championship game is, well, if that's one of the values that he brings to the table, why not use that more? And as you said, in the game against Michigan, clearly he showed you a, you know, a capability of being able to do that. So dialing that up and, and giving that Alabama defense one more thing to think about, much the same way the Georgia defense has got to think about you know, Bryce Young with his legs, you know, just giving that Alabama group one more thing to think about I think seems to make some sense. Yeah, and I think it creates problems for their defense, much like, as you said, uh, Bryce does and other running quarterbacks have for Georgia. And I think that's been Kirby's mentality with, with Stetson Bennett all year. This is why, this is supposedly why he's playing, right? The mobility. This is what he brings. And against Alabama, the last game he didn't. He was sacked three times and threw into coverage a couple of others and had some very costly turnovers. So, you know, rather than trying to beat teams with his arms, he needs to take what's there. Munkin will give him plenty. Munkin out schemes everybody. He coached circles around Michigan. You saw that. And if it's not there, then he needs to tuck and run and, and take one for the team. And, and, you know, Stetson's told us he doesn't like getting hit. I understand that. Nobody does, but this is a rough game. And there's a national championship on the line. And, and I know Stetson says that it's not his job to be the savior, but listen, he wants to win the game. He knows what's at stake. And I think we're going to see his best. Uh, I'll finish with this. You wrote about this. I talked about this obviously a lot yesterday about the notion that, you know, whether it's pronounced boogeyman or bogeyman or whatever way you want to pronounce it, the notion that, that Alabama is a, is a mental hurdle for UGA in addition to the obvious physical challenge of, uh, of beating a team, the, the, the caliber of the Crimson Tide. Kirby Smart didn't really want to talk too much about that earlier this week, but how real do you think that notion is? I think it is for Kirby. I don't think it is for the players. I don't think it is for the other coaches. But I think Kirby, I think it's possible, Brandon, to want it too much. And you've got a brother. And I've never really talked to you about your brother. But my guess would be at some point you two competed. And I don't know who the older brother is and who the younger brother is. But, but sometimes the younger brother tries a little too hard. And, and I feel like Kirby has tried too hard. And I feel like that he's kind of, you know, when he played golf against Saban, he tells the story about golfing against Saban and Saban pulling out an extra mulligan. And it kind of just, which, which Kirby doesn't even believe you should play with a mulligan. That's a whole different show. But uh, to me, it just seems like Nick's always had that mulligan, and Kirby's always let Nick get by with that mulligan. And Kirby just can't this time. And, and Kirby's just got to let Georgia be Georgia and not outsmart himself and not try to do too much defensively as he did this year. Um, so I, to me, I think it's real for Kirby, but only because he wants it so bad and he tends to try too hard and try to do too many things against Alabama. And I don't think he's going to do that this time. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. And of course, we're crews around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. And I mentioned being in South Florida a moment ago. It was really cool, you know, Fort Lauderdale, we were staying, which is kind of like right down the road. I mean, literally less than a mile away from Port Everglades, which is kind of a hot spot for cruising. And we went by the Port of Miami. I went into South Beach one night and drove right by the Port of Miami to get there. I actually didn't realize the Port of Miami, where so many of these Royal Caribbean cruise ships set sail from, was actually right there next to South Beach. But it is just right there next to it for the most part. Uh, I had never sailed out of Miami. I've, when I've sailed in the past, I've sailed out of Port Canaveral. But you see all these Royal Caribbean cruise ships. You see the ports, you know, the, the embarkation points where they leave from. And it just gets you excited about sailing. And I know a lot of you are excited about that there as well. So uh, we're happy to be cruising on the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. We're happy to be uh, heading very soon. And a lot of you enjoying this in 2022. The Perfect Day Coco Cay and the private island that's right there in the Bahamas or all the great fun things to do on board these Royal Caribbean cruise ships. So make sure you check those out. Make sure you get ready to enjoy all of that. Our friends, the Cruise and Vacation Authority, the ones to turn to for that. Check out TCAVA.com. That's the website, TCAVA.com. Or you can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. 
8300 you can book your own royal caribbean cruise vacation here for 2022 all right cruiser in the sec courtesy of royal caribbean so i probably actually i'll get to that in a moment let, let me mention a recruiting uh, nugget before we get to that one of the guys who has been the most among the more outspoken members of georgia's 2022 signing class is uh julian humphrey the former florida commit came over to georgia and Humphrey has just been a big cheerleader for the dogs on social media, which makes him very popular uh, with UGA fans. And obviously, Jeff's in telling San Antonio right now for the uh, for the All-American Bowl. And there's been a lot of chatter out there about what's going to happen on January the 8th when Ernest Green, the four-star offensive lineman, gets ready to make his announcement. He's already signed. Uh, you see uh, Green right there. Our buddy Sam Spiegelman, former colleague, giving you a good-looking shot at uh, at him doing some of that work there. What Humphrey has come out on Twitter to say is that Green is going to sign with UGA. The dog's about to get themselves another great offensive lineman. This is not necessarily surprising news to many Georgia fans. I think they do feel pretty good about where things stand with Green, who reportedly signed during the early period and is simply announcing his decision on TV coming up this weekend. But it's another thing to be excited about as Georgia kind of adds to what's already an elite 2022 class. And in the in the arrival of Green, if it does indeed come, and we'll talk more to Jeff Sintel about this coming up on Friday on our show. But if you do add Green to this class, one of the things that you're doing is kind of filling in one of the holes, one of the few holes that probably existed for the Georgia class, that elite offensive lineman. Georgia's got a bunch of young elite offensive linemen in the program. These are guys waiting in the wings for bigger opportunity. I'm talking about, obviously, Amarius Mims and, you know, certainly Broderick Jones. We've seen some of this year and probably see more of in 2022. There's a lot of, you know, talented depth in the Georgia program right now, but there wasn't really that big, bold print name signee yet for the 2022 class. Well, if Green joins up, he becomes that guy, and it seems like late in the process, Georgia may have swooped in, won that battle over Alabama to get him, uh, Julian Humphrey is certainly predicting that. We'll find out later on this weekend if that prediction comes true. And by the way, stay close to Jeff's intel. You'll have Before the Hedges presented by Kroger tonight on the Dog Nation video channels. Jeff, I'm sure, will update you on Green and a little bit on Christian Miller there as well. But also kind of talk about how some of those guys are doing who are in San Antonio, what you're seeing from the Gunnar Stocktons, the Oscar Delps. Some, and in some cases, UGA signees who've been early enrollees on campus leaving the program to go back to San Antonio to kind of do one more kind of final official duty as a high school football player jeff will give you plenty on that this evening it is before the hedges presented by kroger on the dog nation video channels i spent more time last night probably watching the lsu kansas state game than i expected to it was a little bit weird to have a game taking place on january the 4th to be honest especially a game of such little magnitude and um lsu just had nothing i mean they had no players whatsoever they had you know walk-ons and third stringers and uh, you know, no quarterback to speak of at all. And they just got completely throttled by Kansas State. This is one of those things where it's like, this is clearly a bad football game, and this is clearly a far cry from the kind of football you see during the regular season. And yet I still found myself watching most, most of it. That Like nothing kind of uh, synthesized bowl season more so than that. It's bad football. I've never heard of most of these players, uh, and yet I'm still kind of watching the game. That's just kind of what bowl seasons become. There was a moment last night, though, where and I, I don't have the audio for you on this right now. Maybe I can find it in time to give it to you for SEC Country Live later on today as we return on the SEC Country video channel starting at 3 p.m. Maybe I can find that for you then. But Brian Kelly appeared on the broadcast. like, And this happens a lot. I think Kirby Smart probably appeared uh, you know, with Georgia for the, uh, you know, the, the Gator Bowl a few years ago, uh, you know, you just, it's, it's pretty common for the, for the head coach that's about to take the job to show up on the TV broadcast. He's obviously not coaching the team yet. They're finishing off the old season. He's just kind of there for whatever attention PR he can get. And so Kelly was on the broadcast there last night. Tom Hart was doing the play by play for the game. And so Kelly summed everything. And, you know, they didn't really ask him about the embarrassing, you know, speech that he gave the basketball game where he, you know, kind of went into the fake Southern ask accent and said, family, you know, like he, you know, he didn't quite, you didn't quite get them full on asking about that. But the one thing I did notice, and if I can find this audio for you, I'll play this in SEC country live later today. The one thing I did notice though was, is that he almost certainly intentionally used the word family during the, the interview. 
he talked about what he's trying to build there at LSU, and he says, listen, it starts with family. And he certainly in he certainly I, I, at least it seemed like I mean everything about you know Kelly's so phony and forced that it's, this is kind of an obvious telegraph situation where it certainly seemed like he was trying to kind of put to bed the the dis- discussion the debate about how he says that particular word. So if you saw it, maybe you noticed that. I certainly did, and I'll try to play it for you in SEC Country Live later on today, but kind of an interesting moment with Kelly trying to get back out there and kind of clean up the mess that he made for himself when he clearly faked a Southern accent a few weeks ago. By the way, we'll finish up with this here. I saw where the ratings for the college football playoff, yeah, let me give this to you. This is John is Aaron. Is that how you say his last name from the Sports Business Journal? John Aaron says that the – Playoff ratings for this year, you had a total of 16.1 million for the Bama Cincinnati game, and a total of 16.5 million for the Georgia Michigan game. Now, I do believe that TV total for Georgia Michigan is higher so far, it was higher than any non NFL game all year long, I believe. But nonetheless, in comparison to what they were the year before, 18.9 million for Bama Notre Dame, 19.1 million for Ohio State Clemson. So ratings way down this year in comparison to last year, and last year's ratings were about 25% off what they'd been the previous year. Now, obviously, a lot of folks have talked about this and kind of what this means. This was uh, December 31st, and that's obviously going to be bad for ratings New Year's Eve. It's just it's, it's kind of hard to make New Year's Eve a sports night for the casual sports fan who wants to, you know, put a tuxedo on and go to, you know, I don't know, you know, some sort of, you know, ball drop party or something like that. It's just really hard to make New Year's Eve a sports night for a lot of people. I'm not a big New Year's Eve guy, amateur night in my opinion, but uh, nonetheless, for a lot of folks who do love New Year's Eve, it's just sort of hard to make that a sports night. And you've seen this in recent years when the playoffs have been on New Year's Eve, the ratings have just been pretty bad all the way around. However, I still don't quite think that tells the entire story of what's going on here. The other thing that gets talked about is the fact that you've gotten so many blowout games in the college football playoff. That's clearly a big deal. There were better ratings for the Georgia game than the Alabama game. The you know people anticipating a hopefully a closer game between Georgia and uh, Georgia and uh, Michigan that that obviously did not happen. When the games have been close, you've had better ratings in those years. When the games have been on New Year's Day as opposed to New Year's Eve, you've had better ratings. But it stands to, to reason for me, and this is, I guess, my final point on this is that when I see the way in which the ratings are trending downward year after year after year, no matter how you diagnose the reason for that, I think it's pretty obvious that the college football playoff has a little bit of a problem here. And college football has a little bit of a problem with its postseason format. And I'm not really quite so sure what you do about this. I don't know that there's a simple solution for this. In that, in my mind, and I think I could back this up with numbers if you gave me enough time to do so, I think that college football is the second most popular sport in America. I think that the NFL is obviously the clearly number one most popular entertainment entity of all in this country, probably. But below that, I believe the college football is the next most popular sport. Now, it's undercovered in comparison to its popularity. It's way more popular than the NBA, even though the NBA is all over uh, ESPN all the time. Uh, in my mind, college football is the second most popular sport in America. But somehow, college football, even with the popularity that it has, doesn't quite get the boost from its postseason that you think it probably should. Most sports seem to trend upwards as you get towards the end. And I don't know that college football quite does that to the extent that it probably should. And as I said before, I, I don't know that there's necessarily a, a simple fix for this. The one thing I would suggest, though, and I'll make this my last point, the one thing I would suggest is that the method by which we put teams in the playoffs is clearly broken. We are more interested, and by we, I mean those of us who kind of make up the sport as fans, media decision makers, whatever else. It seems like the overwhelming majority of the decision makers are more interested in creating a level of balance with who gets in as opposed to creating a level of competitive balance with how the games are being played. In other words, there's a distaste about putting a Georgia and Alabama in the playoff. It seems like in, in most years, if they can't avoid that, they want to. There's a there's a huge appetite for, let's make sure we have a team from the Midwest. Let's make sure we consider a team from the Big 12. Let's try to give the Pac-12 a chance, although clearly they'll, they'll squander that each and every year. There's this attempt to say, hey, can we make the college football playoff look like America and have a team from this region, a team from that region, and everything else? And if you want to know why the playoff, the semifinal games, are always blowouts, I'm really surprised that nobody ever asked the question of, maybe we're just bad at picking the teams. 
maybe we got to put the actual four best teams in the playoff as opposed to the four teams that are most deserving because of our obscene obsession with conference championship games. That means in 2018, Georgia would have gotten in. That means in 2020, Texas A&M would have gotten in. And guess what? If you put the four best teams in and not the teams that have the prettiest records, the zero in the in the loss column, the conference championship next to their name from an inferior league, if you actually put the four best teams in the playoff, then the semifinal games that are produced by that would actually be better, I believe, than what we have right now. So if you want to know why the playoffs are always blowouts, why the American TV viewing public tunes out on those games, I think you got to spend a little bit more time thinking about the way in which these teams are picked. And what's broken about that, I think, explains what's broken about the rest of the college football playoff. All right, so uh, a couple of things here as we get ready to wrap up. So, obviously, uh, great to have our friends at the finish long. Hey, can, we, can we kill the music just for a second? I've probably fired this music a little, a little sooner than I should, and this is a very awkward thing to do. But let me, uh, before we get ready to, to wrap up the show, let me give a shout-out to a couple of our friends here uh, just for a moment. First of all, finish long drink. Find them online, thelongdrink.com. Uh, you can look at all the varieties that are available to you there, the traditional, the long drink strong, the long drink zero, the long drink cranberry. You can also find out where you can pick up one of those eight-can variety packs, which give you two different versions of the finished long drink, longdrink.com for more details on that. Also, get ready to get your bets down on the upcoming uh, game on Monday, pro football playoffs, everything else, betus.com on that. Uh, Use the promo code DN125. When you do – you get a 125% sign-up bonus, betus.com, to take advantage of everything there on that. Uh, 125% sign-up bonus when you use the promo code DN125. That means they put more money in your account than you did to start with. You're literally a winner before you even place your first bet. But once you get going on those bets, best of luck to you with our friends at BetUS, the absolute uh, market leader in this country have been that way for 125 years. You don't get to be that way unless you're taking good care of your players. And that's what BetUS does. They'll take good care of you there as well. DN125, the promo code to use to take advantage of the special offer at BetUS.com. All right, with that said, can we fire up the song one more time and wrap up the show? All right, so uh, we like to close things out on a fun note. Golden shoe time here. Our buddy Jermaine King weighs in. Uh, he's given us some great I mean, this is such an amazing edit. I mean, he's so good at this. He says, I know this might be a shock to you, he says kiddingly, but I'm a big comic book fan. Jordan Davis' dominant performance against Michigan offensive line automatically made me think of the Incredible Hulk versus the Wolverine. Uh, I mean, how good does this look, Jordan Davis towering over the Wolverine? I'm not super well-versed in comic book crossovers here, but I do love when Jermaine does one of these edits for us. And Jordan Davis as the Hulk looks incredible right there. He also says the uh, tide is turning UGA Revenge Tour. I am here for all of that, Jermaine King. You are a well-deserving winner of our golden shoe here today. How about lousy, stinking Gators? 297 days from right now, the reigning national champions, which is what we believe Georgia will be, go to Jacksonville and beat up on Florida. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Dog Nation Daily.